We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Player or team development, player and team development, we expect or hope for. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at yours, Gretsch. You can find my Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work at Rotoviz. And Sean, we are past the halfway point. We just finished week nine. What do we think is going to happen week 10 to week 18, the second half of the season? We're well past the halfway point in fantasy football because, you know, we got the, the playoffs and all those things. But what do we think is going to happen in the second half of the NFL season? It's going to be interesting to find out, Ben. And obviously the big storylines this week revolve around uh, you know, where Odell Beckham will end up landing, uh, what the Carolina Panthers are doing at their quarterback position, how it affects some of these big running backs. I want to ask you about some of the changing profiles for Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara, what it means for uh, players who have made it to this point and are still very competitive in the redraft leagues. Also what we should be doing with these players in dynasty but I was hoping we could start off by kind of circling back to some things we talked about on Sunday night for the Monday morning show and all of the fallout this week from the big time offenses and big time quarterbacks struggling. One of the things that I thought was very interesting, and you know, there may be other things that are out there as well, but some specific quotes that I heard and, and ways that the teams are looking to approach some of these things, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid have come out and said, we're going to continue to take these deep shots. And we haven't connected with Tyreek Hill on those recently. And it's, it's kind of crazy. You go in and you look at his last three games and he, you know, obviously has one of the top weighted opportunity ratings in the entire NFL, but only a 40% error conversion ratio. He's got 148 air yards a game, but most of the passes that have been completed have been underneath. The Chiefs are saying, those shots are there. We're going to keep taking them. We're going to complete them. It's important to actually keep the defense stretched out, keep the defense having to respect 
our vertical routes so that they're not jumping some of the underneath stuff we want to do, which isn't necessarily the rhetoric that you might think would fit with some of the criticisms they've had of their offense. It sounds like the main thing that they think they need to do is execute. And I mean, this was always one of the things that, that I think is important sometimes when we get caught up in, okay, well, what's working, what's not. I mean, you see these missed pass plays to Hill, those opportunities there, you saw against the Packers, some huge third down drops, Travis Kelsey drops a third down conversion. Nicole Hardman drops a third down conversion that ends those drives and NFL football games don't have so many drives that you can just be like, Oh, well, you know, no big deal. We'll get the next one. I mean, that's going to change how you score in that game. Right. By contrast, the Buffalo bills have come out and said, you know, we've got to be a more balanced offense. We've got to run the ball better. We have to make defenses respect that our offense has to be complementary in terms of what we're going to do. So, you know, one of the things that I had joked about on Monday was that, you know, all of these Cole Beasley targets, you might as well just hand the ball off to Devin Singletary. And, you know, hopefully Zach Moss, he's still, uh, you know, no news as we record this in terms of if he will be able to come through. Uh, obviously, they'll be patient with him on that concussion there. If it is just Devin Singletary, it sounds like he'll have a pretty big workload uh, this coming week. But when I was kind of joking about giving the ball more to Devin Singletary, that wasn't exactly what I was thinking they needed to do. <laughs> what I think they need to do is get the ball to Stephon Diggs. Now, obviously, you know, we're sort of partisans in this conversation, but the contrast between where Hill is and, you know, scoring almost 20 points per game, being a fantasy weapon despite these misses, Diggs is kind of on the other side of this, right? Where he has a 24-22 market share lead over Cole Beasley. You know, the target share there, I mean, that's absurd. And then you go in and you see that Emmanuel Sanders averaging 111 air yards per game, digs only 104. He can't have any parts of his profile <laughs> that are close to these other receivers on the team. For this offense to work, it can't be, you know, let's go to Zach Moss, let's go to Devin Singletary. Now, when they run, they need to run with more intention and they need to be more careful what they're doing with Josh Allen. I mean, they're going to get him killed, and then all of a sudden your team completely changes. You're no longer a Super Bowl contender without him. And there's some things they need to do schematically to make those runs more effective when they do them. But I think that if you come out of that week and don't think to yourself, Diggs has to be what we do, then you still probably haven't come up with the right answers. What are your thoughts when you hear the Chiefs and Bills and their response to the struggles that the Chiefs have been having for a while now, the Bills and this embarrassing loss to Jacksonville? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a challenging conversation. I tried to bring some thoughts to, to Twitter on Monday, kind of before I realized this was going to be such a big conversation point this week, was being a little facetious, and I didn't really strike the, the right tone, I don't think, because a lot of the responses I got were just like, you know, neither team can run the ball. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I understand that to be, you know, the, a defense that's taking away deep shots, like if you can run the ball, that's helpful, right? But part of the point I was making was I was sort of making an assumption that, the, I mean, we've seen too deep, you know, you can go all the way back to like Tampa 2 and all this stuff. Like we've seen two safeties and that that was, you know, Tony Dungy when the, when the Bucks were really good in the early 2000s and uh, I'm sure it dates much further than that. I mean, that's when I was, you know, a little bit younger and first learning about sort of offensive and defensive schemes, whatever you will. That took the league sort of by storm. Everyone was referring to it as a Tampa 2 defense, even though it wasn't just Tampa who was starting to run that. There's obviously ebbs and flows with schemes on offense and on defense. After Seattle, you know, had a lot of success, you saw the cover three defense, 
you know, take the league by storm. You saw multiple Seattle defensive coordinators get head coaching, coaching jobs, uh, Gus Bradley, Dan Quinn, and try to implement those defenses. And they, they weren't actually as successful in some different spots because you didn't have Earl Thomas as this one safety who could play sideline to sideline. And you didn't have, you know, Richard Sherman and great cornerbacks who could, who could, you know, play that position uh, at all depths, essentially. And anyway, I mean, we, we see these sort of, you know, patterns and we see it's a copycat league and all that stuff. What I have been assuming sort of is that because these two deep shells are causing so many problems, there's something sort of different about them, some sort of unique wrinkle, because it's hard for me to understand that, you know, I mean, Patrick Mahomes took the league by storm. Uh, what was it? Three years ago now in 2018 uh, was still very good in 2019. He got injured for a while. was obviously still very good in 2020. You know, the really easy response that everyone likes to go with is, oh, the Bucs had the blueprint on them. The Bucs didn't really have the blueprint from the Super Bowl. All the Bucs really did differently, I think. Or I don't know the scheme stuff that well. But all they really did differently, I think, is that they were able to rush for and get to the quarterback. We know that will hurt any good passing game. Yeah, I mean, the Chiefs offense had basically lost all of their first string members. Right. And so it's a big problem when you can rush for and you can drop seven into coverage. And, and that can create major issues, obviously. If you can get home and limit the time to throw without actually adding any additional rushers. That's that's a problem, obviously. But this year, every defensive – I mean, Mahomes, over his career, has seven games with fewer than six yards per pass attempt, and five of them have been in this season, in, in the nine games he's played this season. it's Each of the last three weeks are, are three of them, and four of the last five uh, are four of them. I mean, four of his worst – six outputs of his career have come here in these last five weeks in terms of yards per attempt. So it is interesting that they're talking, they still need to be vertical. They still need to throw down a field because they're obviously not actually executing that over a multi-week period. They're really working through something. And I do think they will figure that out, but it is interesting to me because I don't think it's likely again, not being a scheme uh, expert. I don't think it's likely that what they're seeing is substantially different than other things they've seen. And it's not like they've been an amazing running team at other points over the last three years. So that's the question I've been asking in these responses. I was getting it, like I said, on Twitter that were like, well, they just need to run the ball. It's like, well, and the thing that you were telling me kind of, as we were talking about this, you know, before the show is that, you know, people say you got to run the other, the defense out of it. You're not going to run these defenses out of this. You're falling directly into their trap. If you do that, because those are all low value plays. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the question that I'm asking is like, our defense is actually, basically just saying, we want you to run. We want you to have these 15 play drives and we're not going to even change even if you do run. And at a certain point now, it's become a frustration for Kansas. I mean, like people for Kansas State have gone back to the, the pre-Kareem Hunt, you know, when Kareem Hunt was on the team, they were running the ball better and all these things and it helped their whole offense. I mean, yeah, I, maybe that's the explanation, but I, I I think we're at a point now, like the way that I was framing it uh, on Twitter and elsewhere, we're like deep. I always was like, okay, I hope offenses understand these analytical concepts and they throw as much as they should and throw on early downs and throw downfield and do all these things that we know are very you know, important. What I hadn't really considered until this this season and these last few weeks is what if defenses are thinking the same way and they're like, well, we're going to commit everything to stopping the pass, even if you're running effectively, who cares? We're just going to keep doing that. Even if you have, you know, as Rich Rebar was was chatting with me and, and obviously love Rich, he was like, they got to come up with a counterpunch. But even if you have a successful counterpunch, even if, you know, Kansas City, if they're getting more out of Kelsey in the middle of the field and those things, we're still going to do that. We're still going to force you to put a 12-play drive together rather than beat us over the top with Tyreek Hill. And same thing with the Bills. Like, I don't know. To me, it feels like 
been a slow process. We see slow evolution, even though we do see ebbs and flows, we do see slow evolution in the NFL where things do change sort of for the good or, or not necessarily for the good versus bad, but like they change like for good. Like they're not going to change, change back necessarily. Like we've crossed the Rubicon type of a thing. And I, I do wonder if, in some respects, defenses were still always thinking, you still have these old defensive coordinators still always thinking, well, we do need to you know, stop the run. You have to stop them. That is such a fundamental. But we're we're getting to a point eventually where it's like, well, we're not going to anymore, actually. We don't care about that. I mean, it, I compared it to the shifts that we're seeing in Major League Baseball where de- defenders are like originally teams started shifting a little and then now it's every single batter. They shift their entire defense and fans hate it and all these things. I don't know if that's necessarily where we're at, but it would be interesting if they basically just say, oh, well, we don't care if you run the ball. You, you have to have Jonathan Taylor or something for us to start caring. Yeah, and the more guys you have back, the more tacklers you still have to get him once he's through the line of scrimmage. I mean, it just flips around to the point where the mantra now for the defense is establish the run, right? And, and you mentioned that these things have been going on during the Peyton Manning era, you know, deep into the playoffs, they would ask some of these coaches who had played him on the AFC side. If you're going into the Super Bowl, and you're like, how do you stop him? They're like, just let the Colts run the ball, right? I mean, make the drives long, create some third downs, hope you get some stops. You need to create the largest total number of plays that a drive can take because every extra play executed is a play, you know, you have to have some level of success with. And, you know, I were talking to, after the show the other day about Bill Belichick and people are like, Oh, he's had this great bend, but don't break defense for so long. You know, is that sustainable? And the whole idea again, there is that you're bending because you're trying to make sure that the opposing team has to run as many plays as possible to score. And then you're going to look and see, well, do they have what it takes in the red zone where the defense can get more congested, all the plays that you can run become, uh, you know, contracted there, can they still do it? Do they have what they need to do when you're down there? And so we've seen this kind of savvy approach at times against great players and great quarterbacks before. Now I think it's just becoming more widespread because more teams are understanding that the only time that you actually worry about stopping the run is if the passing offense is terrible and you're in force three and outs and you're just going to dominate. In any other situation, stopping the pass is the key thing. And the analytics have been on this for a long time where the main thing that is associated with winning is first half passing success you know, with your offense. And so if teams can take that away, then you're moving in the right direction there. You said it's more widespread, and I think it's that, but it's also really interesting that teams seem to be sticking with it longer. I mean, and I understand with the Chiefs and the Bills that they're not necessarily running the ball effectively to get them out of it or whatever. But this whole idea that like, oh, if they could just run the ball, teams would be – I mean, I, it just seems – like we've never seen something like this in my opinion where uh and and maybe somebody else it's not really an opinion i guess maybe somebody would be able to come up with a good counterfactual here that's actually true but we have these two really great offenses in Kansas City and Buffalo who both seem completely neutered by the same thing at the same time over multiple weeks now i mean the bills it's only been 2 weeks since they're by but they're not able to do the things like Josh Allen's average depth of throw or average depth of target, you know, passing eight out, however you want to say it, was eight yards or higher every game before their week seven bye, uh, six straight games. And the last two weeks, it's been much lower. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think it's like 5.5 or lower. And very similar trends from Mahomes as well, where they do want to still, like you said, they're talking about still wanting to pass out of it, but they, they're not. Like they're, his, he's not throwing the ball down the field as much. 
He's throwing a ton of passes, and they're all much lower, or at least in terms of the average, winds up much, much lower. And, and so the fact that there's something that's going on with these defenses, again, I am not the guru that would figure this out from a scheme perspective, but it's really bizarre to me that we have multiple really good offenses that are not able to figure this out and still be effective. I mean, the, the Bills losing nine to six, some of that obviously is execution and not just finding a way to, 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 to produce offense, whatever it is. Josh Allen running more. I don't know. Like you, you wouldn't expect that the, the Jaguars could just simply scheme so well that they could completely hold the Bills to six points. But at the same time, like I don't think it's entirely just execution. I do think there are elements to whatever the defense is doing. Like it, it, this feels different. It's not just, you know, some new, I don't know. I mean, we, we've seen, again, we've seen two deep shells. It's not like teams haven't run too deep against Patrick Mahomes before. So whatever it is, like the, the impact is, is stronger right now than it has been on, a, on opposing offenses, I think, in the past. And that's one of the reasons why success rate is kind of a tricky stat, because successful running plays, successful short plays that keep you sort of on schedule, I mean, it keeps you on schedule for a long drive that can melt down any time. And so if the opposing offense is as good as the Bills, as good as the Chiefs, then, I mean, you're willing to just make them execute the hard plays. You're willing to allow them to score, you know, 20 as opposed to 42. You're willing to have some of those things happen because you're trying to close the gap between you and the Chiefs. And one of the things we see with the Chiefs, is they've had a very hard schedule. They're still five and four. Obviously, the Bills are in good shape you know you lose to the jaguars what the jaguars were trying to create in that game was a game that was close that you could somehow miraculously win which is what they did right and so yeah you're going to have to evolve but one of the things that i like to listen for in terms of how people are talking about evolving is are you going to make some tweaks and do what you do a little better or are you going to go away from what you do well and you know the the sport that i have the most background in from a tactical perspective from a you know, playing perspective is tennis. And I had playing experience, coaching experience. One of the things that was interesting in terms of going out there and talking with players, someone who maybe has gone through a little bit of bad stretch here is they always want to know, well, how should I adjust my game plan? You know, what should I do differently? And sometimes there are some things you want to do different, right? Sometimes there are some changes you can make that will allow you to exploit weaknesses that the opponent has or to cover up your own weaknesses. Those are important things to do. Most of the time, what you need to do is play your game a little bit better. And when people go through these down stretches, it's like anything else, right? Where you're going to regress, you're going to get back to your normal level. And so, you know, when a player is on an extreme hot streak, what you have to worry about is that their shot selection will get so aggressive because of how well they're playing that they will play themselves out of it and start to miss shots because they're playing so well. Their percentage gain will decrease. And then you're, you know, right back kind of at average. When someone is playing poorly, instead of playing through it and getting back to where they are, if they change and start doing things that they don't do well, that's when a team really collapses or that's when a player really collapses out there. And then you go through multiple match stretch of like, you know, what's happened to me? It's like you were in a couple game stretch where you weren't playing well and then you went away with your from your strengths. You know, we just have to get you to do what you do. Obviously, tennis and NFL football, a lot of differences, some similarities. But the, the key for me is, again, you have to be able to make the small tweaks and to play better as opposed to kind of capitulate to what the defense wants you to do. I'm not necessarily saying that that's what the Bills are doing. I'm not necessarily saying that the Chiefs are going to be su successful with their way. I think it will be interesting to see what happens. And then also we have a lot of fantasy ramifications. 
Yeah, I mean, definitely the the going forward is, is where we should pivot next. But I do think that analogy is really interesting. The way I wrote about it in Signals a couple of weeks ago was because more of my background, I would say, from a technical perspective, is baseball relative, to, you know, and, and football. But in baseball, you hear about these holes in batter swing sometimes. Maybe it's a off-speed pitch down, and, and the the hitter can't see that and leave it down and is chasing it constantly. And so they start to only see off-speed pitches down in the zone, and they strike out a lot, and they're having all these issues until they learn to lay off that pitch. Or, uh, you know, if it's a pitch in the zone that they have a hole, maybe it's, you know, up and in or something. They can't get around on the on the fastball up and in. Until they can fix that hole in their swing and actually – react and hit that pitch they're not going to get the pitcher to throw them anything else and that's but once they're able to actually show that they have that they're going to start to see the pitches that they hit well more and and you know there's probably some analogies to tennis as well i mean none of these are going to be perfect analogies necessarily but i do think there's an element where the defense is literally just putting all of their resources to trying to take away these things and the offenses are not doing other things well it's a question though of like can they can they succeed through something, um, you know, the defense is, is actively trying to take away? Like, I don't know. I, I don't have a great way of discussing that on tennis terms, but, like, if a player can't hit a backhand and their opponent knows that and is constantly hitting it to their backhand, like, how, how, how would you approach that? Well, I mean, from a tennis perspective, you've got to be able to shift around the type of shot you're hitting off of that side. You can run around and force the opponent to hit some low percentage shots in order to attack your back. And one of the things that you see in tennis is that you actually have to hit to the good side if you want to hit to the weaker side because you've got to open that up. And so when you get that shot on your good side, you've got to be able to put them under some pressure so that they can't come back and attack you. So there would be some things that you do. And I think that that's what the Bills have to do. That's what the Chiefs have to do. It's been interesting to see the Chiefs kind of react with these continued deep shots that they're not hitting. I just really think that if they hit a couple of deep shots and they stop dropping third down completions, that they will be fine. You noted the underneath things. What they're trying to do is actually exploit that area that they're being given, but exploit it with their playmakers as opposed to with running plays. I mean, part of the thing is, you know, fans want you to run. The opposing team wants you to run. The team itself wants to get the ball to Hill, even if that means a pass behind the line of scrimmage. The team themselves wants to get the ball to McCole Hardman, even if that's a pass behind the line of scrimmage, those guys on the edges with their 4-3 speed, in Hill's case, the 4-2, the low 4-2-2 speed um, against the defense, that's what they want. They don't want Darrell Williams running into the line. But so one of one of one of the issues you said that the drops on third downs, I completely agree. Like you just execute better. But one of the issues, and, and, and this is sort of what we're talking about with the long play drives, is that they're even having so many third downs, right? That's what the defense wants is to put you in a position where one drop means your drive's over. It's one play on third down. You want to try to stay out of third downs. We know all this. This is not like uh, novel. My question to you is, do you think that they'll be able to figure this out in a way that we'll see you know, substantial improvement soon? Because I do think it's very interesting that it's been so problematic for Kansas City for a multi-week stretch now, right? Over multiple months. And now it's become very problematic for Buffalo two weeks in a row. I think the Chiefs are about to come out of it. My concern on the Buffalo side is that they might be in the very beginning of trying to figure out how to come out of it. And my other concern would be that even as they've struggled, the Chiefs have manufactured a lot of touches for their star. And on the flip side of things, the Bills have not. And so until you've figured out or you've gone through the process of making sure that you're getting digs involved, then I don't know that you can answer the rest of the questions yet. 
because you haven't actually gone through the first process of saying, okay, you know, Diggs is going to be the guy. I mean, the first thing that's happened with the Bills is that teams have said, you know, let's see if you actually can beat us with Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley. And the answer for a stretch was, yeah, I mean, we can we can still create some big plays that way. I think it'll be interesting to see where they go next. Uh, Devin Singletary, somebody we do have on a variety of teams. He's an interesting guy now. Now, we do know that part of the reason he had so many receptions last week was that Zach Moss did exit that game, but Singletary was evolved, was involved out of the backfield early. My question would be, I mean, they talk about they're going to establish the run more. Singletary has some good peripherals. Those things have not really translated to on-the-field actual yardage, which is what matters. I mean, you need yards if you're going to run a team out of something. I would think that getting him the ball on some of these short passes would be something you want. I mean, with all respect to Cole Beasley, Singletary is a running back. He is actually a pretty solid running back. He's not a star, but if you can get him into the second level, I think that you like that. You like him on some of these linebackers. You'd like him to be able to make some plays. I think that he actually has a decent amount of receiving upside now if Moss is out. The other side of that is that if Moss is back, I think that he's got some receiving upside. He's got some goal line upside. I think one of the things that you have to do in addition to just running in general is I think you've got to take away some of those Josh Allen rushing plays. Now, you know, whether or not that actually happens when those plays are actually chunk plays for the offense, I mean, that's that's a little bit of a question. It All of these rushes that Lamar Jackson does, all of these plays that Josh Allen makes, those look fantastic until the quarterback gets hurt. Hopefully that won't happen. I mean, we had such a great stretch with Derrick Henry before he got hurt. You just It's tricky if some of these teams that have such good quarterbacks are going to treat them like running backs then you have some extra risks involved but that was a big part of what the bills did well last year was they it basically is. didn't run and they let allen be their running game when the the pass play wasn't there i think it's interesting you bring up the ravens because we've heard some conversation about how they from a routes perspective we've heard it from i think the cardinals as well they're basically allowing a lot of their receivers to run to space and have a lot of flexibility with their routes run away from defensive leverage try to find openings downfield the, the Ravens have still managed to to keep a really high explosive pass play rate all season. Part of that is, you know, teams have to commit resources to stopping Jackson from running. If the opportunities aren't there down the field, he can just take off and run. He doesn't necessarily have to throw short a whole lot. We don't see a lot of running back targets and those types of things. And their offense has stayed really strong. It, it, it like that to me is the like when you talk about getting Diggs involved, that was what we saw so much last year. That I was so excited about Diggs keeping his targets into this year. Was anytime Allen seemed to extend the play, it went to Diggs because Diggs is a guy who was so good at improvising and finding space and getting wide open basically on any kind of an extended play or what have you. Why that hasn't happened as much this year is sort of hard to explain because it's not like. I mean, I would say that Diggs doesn't necessarily look exactly the same physically. Like, he looks maybe a little bit slower this year, which is an interesting point. I'd be curious your thoughts on that. I'm not massively concerned about that, but it's not like he lost the ability to play wide receiver is sort of the point that I would make. And it's not like Allen lost the ability to extend plays. And so we haven't seen a lot of that. We haven't seen a lot of them making big plays on extended plays on in situations where defenses you know, and in part of this two deep shell thing is we're not going to chase receivers all over the field. We're going to stay in our areas and we're going to not allow extended plays to break our defense down. But at the same time, like Diggs is the kind of guy that should be able to find space on an extended play. I mean, you can't guard everything. You can't guard the entire field. Well, and, and some of this, even, you know, the Seahawks dealt with it mid season last year and never really came out of yeah, I'm thinking of that in light of you mentioning the quarterback extending the play, I would love to see Josh Allen extend the play to pass as opposed to extend the play to run. Now, 
you know, when you have 300 pound guys bearing down on you, sometimes you just have to, you know, move forward or throw the ball away. Extending some of these plays as opposed to taking the quick check to Cole Beasley is another way to not let the defense get exactly what they want. Because if you're throwing to Beasley two yards across the line of scrimmage, you're doing the same kind of play as, as a handoff to Devin Singletary. I mean, you can say we need to be more successful with those plays, but even if you're successful, the defense is like, yeah, I love that. So we talk about execution, but I think there is an important point between the difference between execution of things that actually still just play into the defense's hands versus execution of things that will work. I like your idea of extending some of these plays, letting the guys get downfield. I mean, these quarterbacks have big arms, right? I mean, you talk about Patrick Mahomes, you talk about Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson can hit these guys or at least give them a chance, you know, 60 yards down the field. You know, lock that ball up there. It's up there for a long time. If the, if the receiver is beyond the defense or just in a different area from the defense, they can run under it. You know, we see the explosive passing plays from Russell Wilson when he's able to extend and make the defense cover longer. So one of the things that can be frustrating is that sometimes, and the Chiefs have a lot of sort of designed gadget plays around the line of scrimmage. We'll see if that actually is something that works or continues to be a big part of what they do. But if you're allowing the defense to dictate to you that you're going to pull the trigger on something immediately and you're not going to force the defense to defend for a long time, then again, that may be an area where you're playing a little bit into the defense's hands well then we do have some other offenses that are shifting and it is affecting the fantasy performers when we get back from the break uh we'll go a little bit into this cam newton signing we'll talk a little bit about how mark ingram has affected or how we think that the future could move a little bit there in new orleans you know maybe hypothesize a little bit what an odell beckham signing might mean the, the running back scoring is a little bit down. Part of this is just that scoring is going to be down if offenses aren't scoring as many points. But some of the main guys are losing some key elements of their profiles. I'll be interested to get your take on what teams can do and if you see some of these big-time running backs bouncing back. Colin Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio podcast network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime podcast along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. And there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Rotoviz NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Or go to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, Ben, we have the Cam Newton signing just before we start the show here. It sounds like uh, for the third time in a very short period, the Panthers have made a somewhat serious 
commitment to a quarterback. We had Teddy Bridgewater with the good contract. We have the trade for Sam Darnold. Now, uh, you know, they kind of pulled out all the stops here. It sort of feels like to bring Cam Newton in and try and rescue the season. Before we get to that, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Christian McCaffrey with this current coaching staff, right? Now, some of the things that happened in 2019, where he goes off for this amazing year, has a you know, 30 plus percent win rate across a, a wide variety of different kinds of contests. We know that some of that was going to be unsustainable. And yet McCaffrey's profile is so unique and that he's the guy who can score like a Marshall Falk. He can score like a Ladanian Tomlinson. I was kind of going back and looking through it. Obviously, he wasn't going to play, didn't play the full uh, slate of snaps in his return this past week. But kind of comparing his role in the offense with Rule and Brady versus what he was doing in 2019. That 2019 season averaged over 13 expected points per game as a receiver, only 8.9 over these last two seasons. Now, he's only played seven games. Some of that he hasn't been healthy. But even if you kind of take out the, the unhealthy games, I mean, he's only reached that 13 level once in the seven games. Now, the 13 level is incredibly high, but the other thing that's sort of interesting, you just kind of go back and look through the games. On the last seven games of 2019, there was only one time where he had a two to one rush to target ratio. And, you know, in the seven games he's played since then, that's been the case only once. And so it's flipped in the opposite direction. He has this game this past week where he's involved heavily as a rusher. And we knew this was coming <laughs> with the way that the offense works now and the way they were using Chuba before this. He did lose uh, you know, five targets to Abdullah, but three of those came in the fourth quarter. Obviously, when you're getting killed, you're not going to be running your guy, your superstar, who's just back into the ground. But there is a difference in this offense, and the inability to pass creates a wide variety of problems. Now we have sort of a run-first QB returning to Carolina, who not only is run-first, but really is not a very accurate short-area passer. My concern as someone who has a lot of McCaffrey and Dynasty is that he's actually now in the group with the top tier running backs as opposed to a tier to himself. That's, you know, certainly a, a, a bold concern. I mean, it is worth noting, obviously, that that McCaffrey has played with Newton before. Newton being a run-first quarterback was sort of a concern potentially early in McCaffrey's career. But in his first two seasons, Newton was the main quarterback. And, you know, McCaffrey still did a ton as a receiver to start off his career. He had 80 catches in, in year one. He had 107 in year two. There's 116 in the massive 2019 that you referenced. That was, was his best season and all those things. And that was the year that Newton got injured, only played two games. And so you, you had most of that season with Kyle Allen. It was a little bit different. At least we've seen from Newton. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. You know, the stuff you're talking about with Rule is, I think, really interesting. Because last week I was, you know, we knew he'd be on a little bit of a pitch count. I was pretty confident that that meant he would at least run routes. And one thing I was keeping an eye on for like DFS purposes and things was whether Abdullah or Royce Freeman would be the inactive running back. They made Royce inactive. They've now cut inactive. They seem to uh, now cut Royce. They seem to like Amir Abdullah, who they had just brought in essentially. But still, the, the things they've done with Chuba, like we see it with rookies where they don't let them run the routes because they're concerned about pass production and all those things. They, you know, they had, uh, what's his face, Rodney Smith run a bunch of routes early. Then they got rid of him. Chuba got a few more routes, you know, for like a week. And then Abdullah takes all the routes. And so, like, the way I was reading this was, okay, well, Chuba's a guy that they like on early downs, but they don't like running a ton of routes. 
it would be interesting to see if, if Abdul is active as the third running back. But the, the obvious split is Chuba's going to take a little bit more of the rushing and McCaffrey runs the routes because that's like McCaffrey is an amazing route runner. He runs all these option routes. He's so good at it. That's his best skill. That's the way that he can most positively impact your offense. When he signed the huge contract, even the running backs don't matter. People were saying, well, maybe this is a little bit, you know, worthwhile because he's so good as a receiver. And that's the one thing that running backs can do is if they can help the passing game so much, that's, that's amazing. So I was really confident that we would see a Chuba McCaffrey backfield this past week. Instead, saw McCaffrey Abdullah backfield. And not only did Abdullah cut into the routes, he ran more routes than McCaffrey. McCaffrey gets 14 of 18 running back rush attempts. He's getting all these low value rushes to your point and, and these issues where the, the balance hasn't been there, where he's actually catching a lot of passes. He gets only one target in the first basically three full quarters. Late in the third, he catches his first pass. He catches four passes from that point forward and does a lot in the passing game from that point forward in the blowout loss or throwing a ton. But prior to that, for the first basically three quarters of this game, he was an early down grinder and Abdullah was their passing down back. And it's like, what the are you doing? That is that is insane. That is so hard to explain. McCaffrey winds up, again, 14 of the 18 running back carries. Really high percentage for any running back. He's clearly the early down, you know, rusher. But he only gets 32% of the routes uh, or runs around on only 32% of the dropbacks. I'm saying, you know, in, in feeling signals, I call that the biggest noise of the week. I'm saying that his routes will rise going forward. That's still a huge red flag. Yeah, huge red flag. You know, if, if nothing else, his routes will rise because, you know, he won't be on a pitch count anymore and all of those things. But I, I, like you said, a, a huge red flag, that that's how they deployed him. It makes no sense. We talk about, you know, the assumption of rational coaching and these types of concepts. I was obviously assuming, assuming rational coaching, but I thought in this case it wasn't even an assumption. It was an absolute no-brainer given but apparently Amir Abdullah taking routes from Christian McCaffrey is a thing that can actually happen. And that seems insane. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, then these, these teams get, get the idea of, I mean, McCaffrey is one of the best running backs in the NFL. So if your idea is that we're going to run the ball every play, then, then like, well, we'll use one of the best running backs in the NFL to do that. But again, it's so like, just get him the ball across the line of scrimmage. I mean, I don't know that he runs the variety of routes that the receivers run. And, you know, you can't make that claim that he would be the best receiver in the NFL. But the way that he separates underneath, even when the defense knows he's coming, is is insane. So it's not that just he gets open, he gets the catches. I mean, there, there aren't even guys near it when he gets so many of these catches. It's like, do you want to make three yards or do you want to make 15 yards? It, I don't know. I, I think it's a real concern. I, I, these things are going to move in a more positive direction, and the talent is going to overcome a lot of this. But... It does create a problem. And the other example I wanted to give you to sort of illustrate how a shift that in some ways can even look good from an EP perspective can be bad is to look again at what sort of Alvin Kamara is doing in this year's Saints offense, where obviously he's a little bit more of a run based back this year. Now his expected points the last three seasons were 18.8. He's up to 20.1 this season, but his fantasy points over expectation are actually neutral, which you just would never imagine from a back of Kamara's skill level. He's at 3.6 for the previous years. He's had these huge fantasy point over expectation seasons because if you can create space for him, then he's just a highlight play waiting to happen. It's over and over and over. Like we talk about with you know Chubb and Taylor and Henry, these guys outperform their workload by a wide margin because they're stars. But you can neutralize some of that 
by using them in a way that doesn't work as well. Over that previous stretch, he was over 10 for receiving expected points. He's down just 8.5 this year, which is still very good. But my concern with both Kamara and McCaffrey is that 8.5, even though it's going to be right there at the top of the NFL, is not enough, right? And it's not the best use of their skills. And if you create an environment in which they take fewer hits and encounter fewer defenders, that they will be better for their reality teams and they will be better for their fantasy teams. My concern is that the quarterback situations on these teams and the overall offensive concepts at this point really are limiting enough when you look at the overall talent that it is not as easy a thing to do as simply the coach looking at it and being like, you know what, you know, we need to make this change. Now, they should make the change, but I mean, there are structural elements now in place for both of these squads that are going to make some of these things more difficult than we would like them to be. Yeah, and I mean, look, when you're talking about McCaffrey as an explosive player, I mean, worth noting, he has the four receptions. Three of them go for 17, 19, and 21 yards. I mean, those are big plays, and they're short passes that he's creating big plays on. I'd be curious to see how many uh, plays in his career. It looks like he certainly had some. But how many plays in, in Amir Abdul's career he's even ever had 17-yard receptions? McCaffrey does it three times in this game. He winds up with more receiving yards than rushing yards in this game, even though he rushed 14 times and he only catches four passes. Obviously, you're going to gain more on passes, but he goes four catches for 54 yards, and a lot of that is after the catch, and he has these 14 carries for 52. I mean, just give Chuba those carries. What are you doing? It doesn't make any sense. The other issue, uh, you, you mentioned Kamara. The issue I see with Kamara is what happens when Taysom Hill takes over because that's been negative for his receiving in the past. Taysom Hill, to me, just looks like a guy who, who – potentially can get the ball down the field to wide receivers. But every time I've watched him, and I know back in the offseason, I went back and watched some of his targets to Kamara, he's not comfortable checking down. There are some, I talked a lot in signals about how the quarterback matters a lot for running back target rate. There are some quarterbacks who just read the defense quickly, understand it needs to get to the check down, move their eyes, get the ball to them, soft, catchable, in, in, the, in a situation where they can run after the catch, and they do that quickly and efficiently before the, the 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 pass rush gets to them. With Hill, some of the targets with Kamara in the past, first of all, he's just not getting a lot of targets because Hill's not getting through that process quick enough and maybe just takes off and runs instead of checks down. We see that with some scrambling quarterbacks. But also when he was throwing to Kamara, when I went back and watched his plays, it's like he's waiting and waiting and waiting downfield, trying to see something come open when Kamara's open underneath. And then... He's not able to scramble, but the pass rush is right there. And so he kind of turns his head at the very last minute and fires a pass in the general direction of Kamara. And there's a huge difference between that and a Drew Brees dump off. You don't want the garbage target to Kamara there. It's like as the as the defender is about to take his head off. You, you don't want a 90 mile an hour pass from five yards away that's down and away from his body. You know, like that's not going to do anything. Well, that's a good segue into the next part, I think, of our conversation, where you and I actually had a pretty spirited debate before we started recording, uh, where we discovered a a point that we don't necessarily agree on, which uh, we don't agree on everything by by any stretch. And we we have some good discussions about what we want to do in free agency and and, what we should do on trades, who we should draft, all those kinds of things. But we definitely didn't think that the best landing spot for Odell Beckham was the same one. Now, we talked on the show last week about adding Hill in a variety of teams to try and create some of that QB upside on teams where he had gone a little bit of the late round QB route. I'm not regretting that bunny stretch, but I am thinking that there's a chance that we may never see him as the full quarterback this year. We may see a full kind of split between Hill and Simeon as we go forward. 
what are your feelings there? I mean, I, I guess it's just one of those things where I'm trying to keep my my hopes in check because with as, as well as Hill played, I mean, Hill is the kind of guy who gave them a chance to win those games last year. And I think actually has a lot of the things that we would want from this new style of quarterback. I think you can use Kamara as a running back wide receiver hybrid, force the defense to compete with a lot of things. If you have Hill back there and you can go empty, you can still have essentially a pure runner in Hill and then, you know, go and attack. And so you have a way to get an extra player back against the defense. I mean, offenses are, are trying to figure out how to beat these new schemes and the new kind of mindset, not really schemes, but mindset in terms of how they're deployed. You know, one way to do that is to have this elite running quarterback, you know, back there by himself to an extent. Now, you know, when you have Kamara, you're going to still use him a lot, but it may not be in the ways that we want. He does like to throw more into the intermediate and deep intermediate range. Talked last week about that article that Steven Ruiz wrote that maybe that was some of the issue with Baker. Maybe that's not entirely it, but if it is, these ideas that I'm talking about with Hill where he just uh, stays, keeps his eyes downfield like a long time, basically, almost oblivious to any pocket issues. But like the, the plays that he made that were good in the past seem to be down the field. He has arm strength. They seem to be in this intermediate to deep intermediate range. I don't know about how efficient he is as a passer. I haven't seen any of those numbers. Maybe he's just as bad as Baker in terms of efficiency in these depths and things. And is also willing to just basically lock into his number one receiver. It seems like, honestly, the, the one of the better quarterbacks, not from an efficiency standpoint, but from a volume standpoint. And, and are we going to see him take over the most of the QB snaps here once he's a little bit further removed from his concussion? That's a really tricky question, right? We don't know about the concussion, but Simeon played so well the week before last, it kind of made some sense that they, they gave him another shot. Then he played really terribly. So I'm kind but of... did rally them. He did rally late. He played well late. That's actually a great point. Uh, and they were able to to win that game. But he looked so bad for, for a large stretch. It, it I, I think you make a good point that it could be uh, essentially a combination. It's just hard for me to imagine with how much money they gave Hill. You know, first they go with Jameis. And now Jameis is out that they would go with Simeon for the long haul and not not. I mean, Hill's being paid a good chunk of money. I mean, it would ha- it would have to be the concussion. I think that would limit him. I, I'm looking at the contract and saying they're going to let him play. But you make a great point about the things that he brings if he does play. I don't really have a great answer if he will. I think it's. I think you're right about the fact that they can use Kamara some creative ways and he'll still have some receiving value. I I, I think he, the issue with Hill is that you were talking about the eight receiving expected points. I think that comes down to six or something, right? Like it's not going to go up to 10 like we want. Uh, he'll still have some, you know, six or whatever, but it's not going to go up to 10. And yeah, I mean, I... You almost have, when you have Hill at quarterback, you almost, and you're right, he played well, he helped them win games, but you almost have him as like your offensive, you know, identity is this idea I've talked about. A lot of people have talked about, obviously, but I've, I've talked about this like identity back in this offseason where it relates to like Henry and how we might see that team shift if Henry's not in the lineup. And it'll be interesting to track that because obviously Henry's out now. There's some teams I think that have quarterbacks that are their whole identity, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen. Taysom Hill to me is that guy where when you have other quarterbacks in, Kamara can still sort of be your identity. You can call plays and scheme to just get Kamara touches. It's harder to do, I think, with Taysom Hill. And you're you're basically committing to Taysom Hill being your offensive identity, which makes him good for fantasy. It hurts Kamara in a lot of ways. So, yeah, what what are your thoughts? Do you think Taysom is going to start? Or you kind of shared that maybe you're uh, a little suspect about that, that proposition. 
but also you should talk a little bit about where you think Odell would fit in best. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that it's another uh, – it doesn't seem like it'll be this week, but I think that Hill, as long as they stay competitive in there, they've got to give it one chance, right? I mean, they've got to see if it would work. They need to know what he can do going forward. It, it wouldn't be great for all of the Camara teams, but I, I think to have some teams doing some different types of things, and I think that Hill as sort of a – not just a run-first QB, but in this elite sort of power-running QB – who makes some vertical passes and gives them a different look with the defense that has played well. I mean, obviously they're in the mix despite having gotten very poor quarterback play so far, or at least very unexplosive quarterback play for this team. Ben, before we let them go today, I did want to run just a few kind of quick numbers by you and ask about this running back situation. I had kind of teased in the last show the kind of longer discussion on uh, Joe Mixon, Column and I kind of took part of that. And so, you know, check out OT if you can, if, if you're interested in that. But I did want to run a few things by you in the context of maybe McCaffrey not being a league winner, maybe a lot of his managers not being in great positions since they had the 101 and he hasn't played much. Kamara perhaps not being a league winner. We have Joe Mixon, who has very consistently throughout his career kind of been in this 15 to 16 EP range and very neutral. Heading into week six of 2021, Mixon was actually negative in terms of fantasy points over expectation. He is more of that sort of Josh Jacobs-ish type of guy. The last three weeks, the last four weeks, he has been Aaron Jones, where he can be 15 to 16 EP, score 20 points per game, and be a star who actually wins for you as someone you slot in as the running back two when you started RB, RB. And even as your RB two, you're like, you know, I just, I wish I picked someone else. I wish I picked a wide receiver there. He's been a star the last month. He has a very difficult finishing schedule. Obviously we want them to use the wide receivers that they have there. Devontae Booker, five consecutive RB two finishes, only a 2% evasion rate on the season. So we know he's doing that without doing the types of things that we tend to associate with stars. Now, I emphasize from time to time that sometimes the evasion rate, the broken tackles can be exaggerated, what you have to do. And I think that the importance of picking up the blocked yardage can be understated because not all running backs will do that. And you break a tackle, you don't pick up the yards, that's a big deal. But Booker has been scoring well and he's still himself, right? I mean, he's a backup caliber running back. The fact that this offense seems to really be in a position to support running back scoring, that seems fantastic for Saquon Barkley coming back after their bye. Last week, they had A.J. Dillon with four targets when he hadn't been targeted at all. That was a, a rough game there for Aaron Jones beyond just the fact that the offense was bad. Now, I think this will flip back to being Jones as the guy in the passing game, Jones as the guy with the upside, but we do continue to have these individual games where his upside is being limited by just how well Dylan's playing. I mean, Dylan was the one guy who looked very good against the Kansas city chiefs. So looking at running back league winners, obviously if you have Jonathan Taylor right there, right now, you've got to be pretty excited. If you have Nick Chubb and you're still in it, you've got to be pretty excited even without the receiving value there. He'll come back from missing this week, or hopefully even gets cleared somehow for this week. It doesn't look like that's possible on Thursday. Maybe that changes by the weekend. Some of these other running backs, who's going to be the guy who comes out and 
wins leagues this season because all of a sudden now it looks very flat through really what were the first 24-ish picks and maybe even throw our guy DeAndre Swift in there who got through his bye and, and now is in the clear to play the rest of the way. Yeah, I, I mean, so you, you started with Mixon. There, uh, there's a lot of different discussions there, and I think each of the players has different, obviously, elements to their profile. You start with Mixon. I think the big thing for him so far, or, or especially recently, has just been touchdowns. He has two multi-touchdown games in a row. He scored in each of these last, actually, six games now. You were talking especially about the, the, the past four. I think you said after week five or after week six, his efficiency was negative. He started just scoring touchdowns. He's got he's got four touchdowns the last two weeks. He scored every game in that stretch. But he's looked explosive, right? And the offense yeah. has been more able to deliver him to those areas, which is also crucial. Yeah, and that's something we thought might happen. I mean, this he's at nine touchdowns now. He's tied a career high. Career high. Joe Mixon has never had a double-digit touchdown season, which you don't really see from a, a high-end back. I mean, that was part of the idea that if Mixon was going to succeed – this year, I mean, he has multiple 1,400-yard seasons. He's caught 35 passes a couple of times in those 1,400-yard seasons back in 2018, 2019, but never never got to double-digit touchdowns. That was a big part of it, and, and it looks like he's very easily going to pass that now that he's at nine already through nine games. That's a, that's a, I mean, that's basically, to me, the, the big switch for him in terms of becoming efficient or not efficient is that he started to score touchdowns. The first three weeks, he had only one touchdown, and he scored in every game since. But, yeah, no, I mean, I think he's – very interesting. The other thing I that I think the other part for him is that he's added receptions. He had four straight weeks from week two to five that he had one catch. And in the last four games, he did have a zero catch game, but he has a four catch game and two five catch games, 14 catches in that span. In, in the past four games prior to that, he only had eight. So it goes for me, I mean, like, like everything, it goes back to high value touches. But the thing that uh, is kind of interesting is his targets per route run have been way up in some of these games. If you look at his routes, they haven't actually necessarily spiked recently. In fact, they were down a little bit at one point where uh, in week seven, where Samaje Pirine was running a lot of routes early in that game and ended up being a blowout win. And Pirine added some carries and garbage time. But uh, when they were passing, Pirine was running routes. That's that's gone away the last two weeks. Mixon's basically two to one in routes over Pirine. But he's not over like a 60% route rate. In fact, the only game he has been over 60% route rate was way back in week two where he only caught a pat one pass and he had a 58% rate in in week four and he only caught one pass some of that was Cincinnati's overall pass volume so their increase in pass volume has been very helpful I do think it is a little bit sort of concerning for Mixon that you have both of those things happening where he's scoring more touchdowns one and two he's having these week uh you know one week target per outrun spikes where they were lower numbers in the first four or five games we don't really have a lot of reason to believe that he's like a massively high targets per route run type of running back. He has looked very good. They do seem to be throwing targets to him. It's probably a big reason that Tyler Boyd's doing nothing is they're, they're kind of throwing to Mixon as their third uh, third guy rather than Boyd. And, you know, if Boyd really just isn't right or whatever it is that is, is leading to Boyd not seeing a lot of targets, that is, is promising for Mixon's receiving. But, yeah, can he maintain – these bumps in, in targets per out run over this small sample, I think that's a little bit dubious. Can he maintain the bumps in touchdown production? That's maybe more likely because they are throwing more and they are they are a successful offense right now, and he's clearly getting all of the work in close. So I don't think he's going to be at the level he's been at, where he has the you know the two touchdowns in each of the past two games and a TD in each of six, you know six straight games. Eventually, he's going to have a game again where he doesn't score. 
but he could end up as a 15 touchdown, 17 touchdown guy even right now. Uh, you know, with the with the pace that he's on, like basically sticking with that pace. I don't think that's that crazy. So he's yeah, I mean he's interesting. The schedule gets gets very very difficult for him down the stretch. So that's something to consider in terms of of selling. I I wasn't considering that at all. It's a very good point. I, and those notes that you that you add there, I in the article I talk about he he's gone from five point seven to seven point two with the receiving. Boyd has to take some of these targets. Boyd has to, yeah. <laughs> but I, bring me home with a Saquon Barkley is going to be the ultimate league winner. We have him on a couple of teams and and with some of our our best buddies. He we we're in good shape with Pat and Pete. He's lurking there. We're in on the edge with Davis with a team that could be crazy if we just execute these next couple of weeks and actually make the playoffs still or right on that is Barkley going to be the guy. I mean, we've kind of lost the upside for the rest of these top players. Every, I love every, like, I love when you set me up with these, when you're like, bring me home with this take. It's like, I don't think Barkley is the ultimate league winner. I want to hear you make that take now. <laughs> it's like, I, I do think that there's a lot of reason for optimism, but bring me home with Aaron Jones as the ultimate win- league winner. I don't think any of them are. I've been writing and stealing signals that uh, this is going to be the first season in a long time since 2015 that we don't have a running back who plays a, a huge chunk of the season that has anywhere really close to 25 uh, PPR points per game. Every season since 2015, we've had a 25 plus running back right now with Derrick Henry being at 23, but out the closest we are is Jonathan Taylor at 20.9. I mean, I think maybe we're not going to have a running back finish with 20. We're not, we might not have one even finish with 20. Exactly. And not, not anywhere close to 25. We could, we could see Jones or Barkler. These guys go on a nice stretch, but my, my take is more or less that there are concerns for each of them. Barkley is, is, a, is an interesting one. Jones is uh, an interesting one from an efficiency standpoint, but certainly I think Dylan does matter. And Dylan is uh, playing well enough that he's going to matter. But especially if they don't get Beckham, Jones and Dylan can be something like Chubb and Hunt, where, where you have two backs that are both clearly among the top players on the offense for the Packers. They'd be among the, the three best offensive weapons, right? You have Adams, and then you have those two guys. Uh, and I don't think Dylan is going to, massively prevent Jones from still being able to be very productive. It's just a, a situation where, the, where they will use both of those guys as clear weapons. But can you get to 25 points per game if there's another running back that does matter in the in the backfield? Probably not. Even the rest of the way, you know, not not counting what he's done so far, which he's down below 17 points per game at this point. Uh, so he'd have to be, you know, 30 plus to, to get there to average that. One of the things that we know is that in the 15, 16, 17 with the new schedule, with the final three weeks, that we do tend to have somebody go on a run. And almost all of the teams in the top 25, almost all the teams in the top 50, you know, racing for the, the 500 grand or whatever the ultimate prize is in your particular contest, the vast majority of the teams have that player. And in part, it tends to be a player who's had a very good season. And those teams are, are in the position that they're in because they were carried there to that extent already is it i mean there are some very good players this season but we are in a lot of leagues where there aren't big gaps we consistently every week have more new players go out who had helped get somebody to the point so far last week devo samuel was limited and had his points knocked down i mean cooper cup has really been the guy who has carried teams are we heading for a playoff race where we just have a very wide variety of team constructions and players who 
carry it down the stretch? I mean, obviously, there are plenty of players who are good enough to have a 90-point fantasy playoffs. But it would be kind of fun if we didn't see that happen exactly that way. Yeah, I mean, I, th- there's sort of two questions there. I do think, one, we are headed for that type of, when we talk about the main event and these contests that you're referencing, I think we are headed for one where they the the field is less concentrated in terms of how many players make it basically that we have a wide open a lot of you know wide open situation a lot of different constructions there will be a lot of cooper cup teams there that's the one that, that you noted and is, is pretty clear but besides him there's going to be a lot of different types of teams that are there and, and then the second part of it is will there be a player who can put up 90 points in week 15 to 17 there's a lot of guys who could do it and so like i, I think about it from you know like a dfs perspective like there's a lot of guys in most weeks when you're making these GPP lineups that could be the the explosive player. And it's not that much different over a three week period, especially this season with a lot of really good players with some small issues. It could be Aaron Jones. It could be Joe Mixon. It could be Saquon or any of the other backs we've talked about. It could be McCaffrey or whoever. There won't be a lot of teams that have these guys, some of these guys, uh, you know, Barkley or McCaffrey that get in. And so it, it, I think it will be really interesting. I, I do think we'll have a player like that probably could be a wide receiver as well will that even necessarily mean that that player is uh certainly on the winning team i don't know because we might not have enough different constructions with that player where it it locks that player into the winning team you know i mean that's one of the things we see with the derrick henry derrick henry wasn't it wasn't the guy necessarily last year um camara was the guy last year but the year before mccaffrey i think is a better example in 2019 mccaffrey was good enough all season that almost every mccaffrey manager made it through and then he was so good in the late stretch that like the top however many teams all had by Caffrey doesn't seem like we're going to have that this year. That and that doesn't mean no one's going to score 90 points. It just means that there's going to be such a wide variety of teams that are in it. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Then what I'm hearing you say is that it's going to be Tyreek Hill versus Jamar Chase combined 80 points in week 17 in the shootout. It's going to be Hill Chase teams that go all the way. And I'm not just saying that because we have a team like that. Because <laughs> we have multiple versions of that. No, yeah, I mean, that sounds great. Let's do that. Well, thanks everybody for listening today. It was great fun to talk as always with Ben. Make sure you subscribe to his newsletter, Stealing Signals. I learn a ton there every week. It is absolutely just a fantastic read, even if you don't actually care that much about football. It's a great read. If you want to get 10% off to Rotoviz, make sure you use the code RBRADIO2021 at checkout when you're signing up for a sub with us please subscribe to our feed leave us a rating and review you guys have gone out of your way to do that so many so many nice things in the comments there for us if you want to refresh that and help us with the algorithm go ahead and do so but otherwise we just appreciate everything that you have done for us good luck this week week 10 again should be one of these weeks that really separates we're looking for some of our teams to score more points in this one we wish that for you as well have a great weekend and we'll talk to you soon